Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for, if you are still, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed? So as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it, built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will also suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, so as yet through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now skip down to verse 21. Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in God, thank you for your word, for revealing to us your great and glorious name. Please teach us this day. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Do you consider yourself a mature Christian? Well, then you have to ask, what does maturity look like? How do you judge maturity? In an egalitarian age, we are inclined to not compare too much. Quoting Paul's, other, one of his more often quoted and illegitimately uh, misquoted phrases, those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. We say, some say we should not judge these things, but... Those who are more conservative don't have much problem judging. And it's easy, the standards that we use, it's easy to find people who are weak. It's easy to find people who are weaker than you are. It's like years ago, one of my students, when I was teaching in public school, walked up to me, and this is a very bright young man, 
he came up to me before class and said, you know, some days I wake up and I feel stupid. But when I, once I get to school and I look at my classmates, I feel so much better. <laughs> we do that with maturity. We say, well, I know I'm not like Jesus, because we have to say that. But internally we say, but I also know I'm a lot better than fill in the blank. Right? I mean, if we want to feel good... Look at somebody who's worse. Or sometimes we might think we have to, we have to prove our maturity. You know, conservatives have virtue signaling also. We know the right names to drop at the right places. We know the right books to say that we're reading, the right apps to say we're listening to. We know all the podcasts that the cool people or the godly people listen to, so we at least have it downloaded on our phone so we can say, yeah, I'm listening to that one too, see here? We, we know this. Or sometimes, I mean, we, we follow the right things. That's what Paul's going after in the Corinthian church. He confronts attitudes that evaluate maturity in the wrong way in this chapter. I mean, there, there's a calling... That he, that he says all Christians have, and it is to, to participate in building God's temple. But, but he's saying here that the church can't get to that calling because they are walking in a carnal or in, a, in an immature, in a fleshly way. So here he presents three pictures in calling the saints to greater maturity, he gives three pictures in this chapter. So let's look at those. First of all, the very first picture that he gives is the picture of co co contrasting infants and mature adults in verses 1 through 5. The first picture is infants and mature adults. He reminds them that their emphasis and loyalty to personalities is a demonstration of immaturity. Now personalities, again, it was in the local church at this time. He, he talks here about himself and Apollos. Uh, in chapter 1 he talked about uh, himself and Apollos and also Peter or Cephas. But, but the people were dividing... And they had reasons, and we won't get back into that. You can listen to the sermon on 1 Corinthians 1 if you want more information there. But the people were believing themselves to be wise or to be mature, but their division based on loyalty to men or to groups is a demonstration of the exact opposite. They weren't able to receive what Paul was saying, he says in verse 2, because they're focused on fleshly matters. Now when you hear the term fleshly, you, I mean, we're prone to think that's, that's sin. Those are sins of the flesh, and sometimes it is. But here, the term fleshly is referring to, to, to giving too much attention to fleshly people. To, to people of the flesh, or, or to, to Paul or Apollos, they're not sinful, but again, they're just to, to giving your attention to those who, who, who have what you like. Everybody has 
people that we like, people that we appreciate, people that, that, that really hit us where we like to be hit. But Paul's saying, you, you all can't get the point because you're focused on my people, people who like what I like. Some were fixated on the superiority of one man's gifts. The strengths of either Paul or Apollos or Peter. But also included here, some were fixated on Jew and Gentile distinctions as well. He refers to that type of fleshly division in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians. And so, so when contrasting himself with Apollos, all, all of that is included. Because Apollos, I mean, just by his very name, that's not a very Jewish name. Okay? It is a very pagan name. A very Greek name. One who follows Apollo. So all this is included when Paul contrasts himself and Apollos. Now, again, it's, it's good to have those that we appreciate and admire, that we look up to. But sometimes we can become so internally focused, so locked into our own box, that we miss that the Lord is working outside of our box. That's good news. I mean, how terrible would it be if the only place that God showed up on Sunday was at this church? It'd be awful. He's working everywhere. And it's not just in one particular place place. The Lord is working out His plans here. He's working out His plans in other states, in other countries, in other continents. And we miss most of it because we, our vision's limited. And that's, that's not a bad thing. We're finite creatures. All we can see is what God puts before us. But you can count on the fact that God is working a lot more than just in Huntsville, Alabama, or in California. Yes, He is working in California. He's not abandoned them either. He's working everywhere. He's working in Argentina. He's working in places, in parts of Europe. He's doing things, and guess what? Our principalities and powers don't want us to know this. So don't expect this to show up in the news. When the Lord blesses the saints in a particular place that we don't know about, when China may have the largest Christian population they've ever had in their history, don't expect that to show up. But you can count on the fact that God is working. So don't get bogged down in looking at immature standards. In, in, in divisions and loyalties, in thinking that, that God is just at work in one particular place. So that's the first picture, infants versus mature adults. But then he just continues with it as he adds another picture. The second picture is that of sowing and reaping, verses 6 through 9. Where he says, and I quoted this earlier this morning, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. The train of thought is of growing crops. So Paul says that he planted and Apollos watered, but, but his greater point is not who does what in the church. It could have been the reverse. 
I mean, perhaps maybe the Lord used Paul to do more of the baptizing. He specifically says early in 1 Corinthians, I'm thankful I didn't baptize many of you. His point, though, is that God gives growth. When the kingdom grows, it's not because one man does great things and another does lesser things. Verse 7, he said, It's neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Where does the glory for the kingdom come? Where do you ascribe glory for God's work? Have you ever said that? So I can remember years ago, and I was, I was very impressionable at the time. I think I was 10 or 11. And I heard one of the deacons in our Baptist church, and he and I were talking, and he said, the church is going to be in a really sad place once Billy Graham dies. Now, if you don't know who Billy Graham is, one of the most famous evangelists in the United States in the 20th century. He said, but he said that, and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, he's right. I mean, this was at the time the most famous Christian, certainly in evangelical circles, in the country. And he said, it's going to be, the church is going to be in terrible shape. And I was afraid he was right. Well, the Lord does raise up saints at times, but guess what? That dear saint has passed and the church didn't fold. There are others. So, so let me ask you who, do you, who comes to your mind when you think when so-and-so passes... The church, it's going to be really bad. What do you think? Whoever it is, doesn't matter. Whoever you think, we're going to be in worse shape when so-and-so is no longer here or when so-and-so dies or whatever. Whoever you think, guess what? God does not change. He will still be the Lord of heaven and earth and He rules and reigns no matter who lives and who dies. By all means, we can be grateful for God raising up faithful men, nations, and civilizations. But just because one falls, the kingdom of God does not fall. The kingdom of God grows. You can read this in someone like St. Jerome, who, when he was writing, he was very afraid of what would happen when the Roman civilization fell. Disturbed over that. Understandably so. Because there was a lot of order that was provided by ancient Rome. But Augustine, thankfully, came along and said, actually, the city of God will not perish when Rome perishes. Now, we don't know what it was like to live in ancient Rome, but we know what it's like to live in 21st century United States. We know what it's like to see a world order that, at least in our hemisphere, the strength of Christianity seems to weaken in certain areas. But the kingdom of God continues. We must never ascribe the, God's work to something that is inherently good in a person. That Paul is saying that very thing. We, we can't do that. God will work as he sees fit. 
As Mordecai told Esther in Esther 4.14, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. We don't know why God raises up some and reduces others. But we can know this. Our work is participating in God's plan. Whatever you do today and tomorrow, if you are doing what you do unto the Lord, you are participating in God's plan. You are a part of His work of sowing and reaping eternally. Now this does not reduce our culpability in obedience. You know, some people say, well... Pastor, you're just saying that it doesn't matter what I do. God's going to do His work so I can just take it easy. Relax. Don't have to do anything. Sorry, does not get us off the hook. Paul says that every person, verse 8, will receive according to his works. He says, now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So our works... They will be known. Every man, woman, and child who obeys God is working together. You may not see the people you're working with. It's just like when you have a war going on. In World War II, you had some troops who were fighting on behalf of the United States in Italy. Some were fighting in France. Others... We're in the Navy all over the Atlantic Ocean. And that's just one side of the war. Then you also had another side that was fighting in Asia. The island hopping campaign, slowly taking back the islands that Japan had captured. Guess what? All those soldiers were working together. But most of them just didn't see one another. Same principle here. God's doing His work. We're working where He has stationed us. And hopefully we're working faithfully. So we plant, we work, and the Lord gains His increase. And that brings us then to the third picture. We see infants versus mature adults. We see sowing and reaping. But thirdly, we see that of building a house verses 10 through 15. Every saint is given certain works to do in God's world. Martin Luther called these our vocations. Now, now for Luther, those vocations are three. Every person has three vocations. The, the, the works he's called, the responsibilities you're given in the home, third, or excuse me, second, in the church, and third, in the public sphere. Luther called it the state. The state is a, a, a somewhat poor English translation because for, for Luther, the state includes your work, the marketplace, the political realm, anything outside the home and church. Those are our three vocations, the three places we must bear our responsibilities towards God and our neighbor. Now, Luther also points out that it... it it's not that God needs our work. Again, we've already touched on that earlier. He, he's not in His heaven saying, boy, I really hope that so-and-so does what they're supposed to because if not, the whole eternal plan is just going to fall through. No. But God uses our work 
to bless the world, to bring the salvation Jesus purchased for us to bear. These works have eternal significance. Revelation 14, 13, Blessed are those who die in the Lord from henceforth forevermore, for they rest from their labor, and their works shall follow them. You'll hear me refer to that verse again. So Paul, because our works follow us, our works have eternal significance, Paul warns the church here when it comes to building a house. He, he, he warns them of two things. First of all, the first warning, or you could say exhortation. It's to build on the foundations of Christ. On the, build on the foundation of Christ, verses 10 and 11. Paul shifts in, in these verses from talking especially about pastors, about those who are leaders in the church like himself and Apollos, to talking about all the saints. So our works, he says, must be built on Jesus and Him crucified. So what does that mean? That means everything you do should be done while trusting that Jesus has accomplished all that He said. You, you are not working to grab on to your salvation. And that would be absolutely scary. If we had to rely on doing enough to make God happy, oh boy, talk about misery. Because do you actually do enough to make God happy? I don't. So we build on the foundation that's already laid for us, that is Jesus Himself. Unless you're resting on Him, your works will crumble when the time comes. So build, number one, build on the foundation of Christ, but, but also when it comes to building, He exhorts us to build with good materials. Verse 12. We must use the permanent materials to build with. And Paul calls these permanent materials gold, silver, and precious stones. And not with fallible ones, not with materials that easily decay, wood, hay, and straw. God's building, what He is doing is eternal. It only uses the finest of materials, the things that will last. Therefore, we must not rush His work. Gold and silver and gems and the like require greater patience to not only acquire, but they are also harder to mold and prepare than wood, hay, and straw. My guess is that most, most of you in this church probably don't have a lot of experience as a goldsmith. Now, if you do, bless you. Most of us don't. We have a lot more experience with wood. Everything is built of wood. And wood can, I mean, if you do it right, wood can last a long time. I mean, there are log cabins today in Sweden that are over 700 years. Oh, they're not cabins. They're bigger than that. But they're 700 years old. They were well chosen and well built. And that's with impermanent materials. 
Now, of course, we know technically gold and silver and, and, and precious stones, they're not permanent. But Paul's using that as the contrast here. The imagery of building, of course, is found in Matthew 7 and other places. It calls on us to do the hard and slow work of crafting something that will last. We all like things that go up like that. You know, you call these construct you call a construction place and you say, please, you know, how fast can you build me a home? And they tell you, you know, some very amazing sounding date, and you say, okay. And, and that's great. You know, you may have a home in a few months. But if I could make a brief layman's conjecture here. I would say that that home probably does not have the strength and stability of something that was built with a few more permanent materials. Composites just don't have that. But we're, we're building for something not just, we're not just building for ourselves. And as much as we like the idea, we're not just building for our children. We're building for the last day. And that's Paul's focus. Paul says the day will come when the fire of God will arrive and will touch all of our works. Our works here are the materials we used to build. So everything you've ever done, all of your works will be exposed to the fire of God. And by the way, our God is a consuming fire. So when His presence, so when, when we and our works are in, standing in His presence, all the works will be revealed. When our glorious God comes into contact with our works, that is the apocalypse, the revealing what the word apocalypse means. And of all the, of all the different smaller apocalypse that, that we talk about now, that's the one we should really be thinking about. When our works are touched with God's fire. And it reveals everything. It reveals everything we've done. And at this point... Our carnal minds say, you know what? So-and-so is going to get their work revealed too. Because we know the people who have done things to us that were wrong and they got off scot-free. And so, I mean, so, so, so we're, we're tempted to think that way. But that day it's going to be between you and the Lord. So... Are your works right before God? Probably not. That no one will have a perfect record that day as far as the things that you or I have done. But even then, Paul says, when your flammable works, when the wood, hay, and stubble, the stuff that we did that was perishable, when it's gone, when it's consumed, Paul holds out some, some good news even here. Verse 15, 
He says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Why? Because you're built on the rock. You're built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. If you're built, and I'll say this again, and you need to just continually remind yourself, if you are built on Christ, no matter what happens, you stand. If you're united to Him, they may take a lot of the works, but you will remain. That's good news. Now, still, you can say, well, you say it's good news. It sounds kind of scary to me. But I want you to think about this. Remembering the fact that our works, Revelation 14, 13, our works do follow us. Who wants to take your weakest works, your perishable works, into the new creation? Do you, do you really want this around? In the new creation, do you want people still seeing the stuff that you did that you think, oh my goodness. I mean, all of us have, do you, you have memories right now of things that you did when you were young that you think, oh boy, if anybody knew how dumb I looked right there. And that's not even the sin. Okay? Well, take the serious stuff. The stuff when, when, when you did things that you know, man, that was terrible. And granted, you say, but I've confessed that. Good. But it's a good thing. My, my point here is that it is, it is a good thing. You will want God to test your works and purge away everything that was ever corrupted. Because when God puts His glorious fire to your works, it's going to be both... I mean, Paul says, we will suffer loss. It's going to be a painful thing, but it will also be the most wonderful thing you've ever experienced. It's the fire of God's joy that comes. I don't know any better way to explain it. All the saints, from the highest to the lowest, though, will come into God's new world because they rest on Christ and not because of the, the works you've done. It's, it's, a, it's a balance. We've got to keep these two things in tension. And it's really easy to try to fall too much on, yeah, what you do after you're saved doesn't matter. Well, Paul here says, that's not right. But then some others say, well, then that means you've got to worry about every single thing you do. And No, you, you rest on Christ and you rest on His work. We're holding both of these things as carefully as well as we can. So what does this mean then for us right now? It means don't take shortcuts in building the kingdom. Don't fall into what James Jordan calls the dominion trap of seizing what God has not yet given. Take the little steps of faithfulness rather than blustering about trying to save the world. The people who get power and who try to do things to save the world usually end up killing millions. Do we think, well, I know, but that's them. That's not me. Okay. God loves you too much than to actually let you try that for which we should be thankful 
So, so do, but do the small things. Do the things God has put in your lap. Read a missionary book to your kids. Adopt a grandparent who doesn't have any family members close by. Read ten verses from Scripture with your family every day and joyfully sing a couple of verses from a hymn and have the grace to be quiet at that point. Pray for your irritable boss instead of griping about him. Now, we've heard all that. Now let's get to some good news in conclusion. It's actually the other's good news too, I'll, I'll tell you. It really is. But it's heavy. It is. But when you put these pictures together, you put the pictures together, and Paul does this on purpose, of mature saints, of sowing and reaping, and of preparing, of building a building. Well, when you combine those, it's like overlapping transparencies. When you put them all together, what do you see? You see a fourth picture. That picture is of what we find in the book of Revelation. Chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22. You see a picture of God's new creation, of the new temple. And Paul talks about the temple in verses 16 and 17. You ever wondered how does he make that jump from talking about building to talking about the temple? He says, you are the temple. You are what God is working on. You are part of this building. You, think you are doing the building and you also are the building. You're participating now in the sowing and reaping. You're participating in the growing and maturity. Uh, so all of this, again, we see it come together because in the Old Covenant, think about this. The priest had to be 30 years old. They had to achieve a level of maturity. The Old Temple had images of the creation of trees. It had water. And of course we know that there was a beautiful building. How many times in the book of Exodus and Leviticus do you read about God creating just the tabernacle? It's not even the temple yet, the tabernacle for glory and beauty. All these things come together in what God is doing now. The gold and silver and precious stones. What image does John see in Revelation? Of what, the, of what the new heavens and new earth is like. It's gold. You have precious gems. The, the priest himself in the old covenant would wear precious stones on himself, representing the people to God. Well, in the new creation, precious stones are part of the building. So all that Paul is doing in this chapter is telling the people at Corinth, in a different way, in a way that will come together in the book of Revelation, you are preparing God's new temple. So we don't have to worry about protecting the temple. Verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. Our job is to make sure we don't join with those who are destroying the temple by dividing up, by lashing out. By causing division. Our, our calling is to be 
and to serve as mature priests, as patient gardeners and wise builders in God's world. He will bring down, and he says this in the verses we did not read, verses 18 through 21, he will bring down the crafty and destroy the arrogant who oppose him. So learn not to get wrapped up in all the people who, think, who are just blowing hard against God's kingdom. They're like the chaff. He'll divide them in the time comes. And they'll, be, and they'll just blow away in, in the wind. God is building His temple through more people than we could ever see or imagine. There's going to be people that you meet in the new creation that's going to tell you stories that's going to absolutely blow your mind. And you'll say, I can't believe this. And then you'll tell them stories. And they'll say the same thing. You're going to find fellowship with people that is absolutely beyond human comprehension right now. And you'll rejoice in it because it's all about how God is building and how He is preparing what we will enjoy then. So learn to serve wherever God places you and trust that He will accomplish His work in His time. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Word and we pray that You would please fill us that we may be about the business that You've given us to do in serving and building your temple. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Dot com.